Hi, my name's Grant Fishbook, and I am honored to be the lead teaching pastor here at Christ the King Church in Bellingham, Washington. Thank you so much for choosing to access this online content today. We really hope you'll enjoy this message. One of our values here at Christ the King is biblical face-to-face -face community. And so while we are so excited that you joined us today online, I really want to encourage you. Make sure that this is never a replacement for face-to-face -face biblical community. Your story matters, you matter, and we want to see you get connected in a local church. Now, if you're here in our area, we would love to have you join us at any one of our five campuses. But if you find yourself outside of the Bellingham area, we really want you to get connected into a local church. So we hope and pray that that happens for you very, very soon. Church, if I haven't met you before, my name is Brian. Uh, I'm so excited to be with you this weekend. I mean, it's been a while since I've had the opportunity to be up here. It's been a busy season for my, my family. The last time I was up here, I was just a husband. Now I'm a husband and a father to the most beautiful little six-week-old girl. Thank you. And to answer your question, yes, I do have a picture that I would love to show you. I never thought I would be that guy, but it seems like I'm physically incapable of having a conversation without actually showing my girl. So there she is. This is Brooklyn Rose, six weeks old. And just, uh, I mean, don't let the pretty smile fool you because about two minutes before this picture was taken, she was having a level five meltdown. The sky was falling um, because like her papa, she doesn't realize why bath time needs to be a part of the day. She doesn't see a lot of value in that. But I got to tell you, her mom and I just love her so much. She's incredible. She's so sweet. Um, she's made our lives so full, so full of joy, so full of laughter, uh, and let's be real, so full of diapers, <laughs> so full of caffeine, so full of pretty much everything except for sleep. So if I randomly <laughs> just stop talking halfway through a sentence, I'm probably just catching up on my beauty rest. Just let it happen, and we will get through this when we do. So like Grant says, we're continuing our series, Seven Words. And I'm excited about this weekend's word, and the word is enough. And I think this is such an important word for us to get right, because it's so easy for us to get caught up in this rat race of a life. It's so easy for us to get caught up in this culture that tells us that we always need more, that if we just had the new thing, that maybe somehow our life would be a little bit better. Man, it's so easy to look at social media and see all the perfect pictures and perfect captions with the perfect lighting and wonder why our reality doesn't look like somebody else's curated story. And it can leave us living in this place called comparison. And that's a dangerous place to live. Teddy Roosevelt said this. He said, comparison is the thief of joy. 
comparison is the thief of joy. Has anyone ever noticed that? That it's impossible to be really jealous about something that's going on in somebody else's life and be really excited about what God's doing in yours at the same time. Even if we have countless blessings, if we have all of the incredible things in the world, if the only reason why um, we're excited about those things is because we are trying to keep up with the Joneses, there's not a lot of joy there. A lot of times it feels like there's just not enough. And maybe you feel like you're not enough in this season. So what I want to do is I want to start out today by just talking about the simple gospel. Because to me, this word enough doesn't make a ton of sense outside of the context of the gospel. It can just sound like kind of a self-help word, and that's not what we're trying to, um, to give and, and to tell the story of this weekend. Um, and so I think that if we can wrap our heads and our hearts around the gospel of Jesus, that this word enough really starts to come to life. And so I'd love the opportunity to, to pray for our time. So if you would um, just bow your heads um, with me as we prepare to get into the word. Lord Jesus, we just pray that you would remind us once again that you're for us, not against us. God, we pray that you would remind us that you are making all things new. God, that, that you use us exactly where we're at. You don't need us to be perfect, God. You are just looking for us to engage with you. So Jesus, we pray this weekend, God, that you would transform our hearts. We are so not interested in more information to tuck in our back pockets. We want to be transformed into your image and your likeness. So God, would you do that? Would you humble our hearts? Would you speak and would you give us the capacity to listen? Not just to hear what you have to say, but to actually engage with it. We love you so much, Lord. This weekend is all about you. We thank you for the baptisms and the new life. It's so incredible. I feel like we just get to echo and talk about what we just got to witness. So Lord, we thank you for what you're doing and how you're moving. We love you. Pray this all in your name. Amen. Amen. So here's what I want to do. I want to get us started in Romans chapter 8. So if you have a Bible uh, or an app, you can go ahead and pull that out. If not, it's going to be up on the screens for you. Um, Or if you're just somebody who likes to listen, uh, I would encourage you to do that. So scripture says, and you've probably heard it before, but, but I want you to really engage with this. It says, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. So when we talk about the gospel, it's helpful to understand a little bit about God's love for us because that's the foundation that we get to engage with. And so if you are um, coming to church for a long time and you're a Christian or whether you are just checking this thing out, you need to know a couple things about God. He loves you so incredibly much. His love is relentless. Scripture says he is jealous for you and there's absolutely nothing that you can do to make him love you any less than he already does. Here's the good news. You've had God's love all along. You don't have to earn it. And that's pretty much the gospel 101. That's the foundation. That's the good news. Um, But but where we have a tendency to get twisted is when we misunderstand what it is that Jesus actually came down to earth to do. And so what I want to tell you um, is is first we're going to start with what the gospel isn't. So the gospel isn't that sin makes us bad people and God helps make us good people. That's not the gospel. If somebody says that the gospel is about making you better, um, they've got it twisted. 
So if you're hoping that God can somehow make you into a better person, then you're actually missing the essence of what Jesus came down to do. Because the Bible doesn't say that sin makes us bad people. The Bible actually says that sin makes us dead people. And when we look to Jesus to make us into better people, we actually miss the whole point of what Jesus came to do. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. And here's why that matters to you in your life. Jesus didn't come to give you morality. He came to give you, Scripture says, life and life to the full. He came to give you the abundant life with a purpose and a calling and a trajectory that's set towards his glory. And, and, and here's another thing that it means for you. If you know who Jesus is, you have an incredible testimony. Because your testimony isn't, I was kind of bad or I was an okay person and now because of Jesus, all for his glory, I'm a little bit better. Your story, you can say, hey, come here, check this out. So I was dead. I had no breath in my lungs to call out for help. I couldn't put my hand in the air and say, Jesus, pick me. There was nothing going on in my spirit, but then Jesus met me where I was at and he breathed life into my life, his soul, and he gave me a purpose. And so I was dead, and because Jesus met me exactly where I was at, now I am alive in Christ. And so if you know Jesus, you have an incredible testimony. I don't know if you've ever heard somebody say, you know, um, my testimony isn't all that great. I grew up in a Christian home, and, and it goes on from there. I think that phrase needs to be eradicated from the Christian vernacular. Because that phrase, my testimony isn't all that great, means that all the focus is on you. But really, anybody's testimony who's calling your testimony uh, about Jesus is about Jesus. And it's not about being made better. It's about being breathed life into. So you have a miraculous, Lazarus-sized testimony, and you're free to share it with whoever you want. You say, I was dead, and now I am alive in Christ. That is the story that we get to share. Church, you are enough, not because of what you did, but because of what Jesus did. And so that's what Paul's getting at in Ephesians chapter 2. And that's kind of where we're going to camp out for a little bit this weekend. It's one of my favorite um, scriptures. Um, it's, it's awesome. We're going to start in verse 1. Um, so, so I'm going to read it for you. It says, as for you, you were dead. In your transgressions and your sins, in which you used to live when you were following the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, it says, not some of us, all of us, not talking about your neighbor, talking about you, also lived amongst them at one time, gratifying the cravings of the flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature deserving of wrath. So, so that's the bad news. It's not that, that we were kind of bad. It's that we were dead. And I know that that sounds kind of Old Testament, this, this deserving of wrath. But here's, here's the thing that's, that, that, that makes this so important. Without any bad news, you can never really have any good news. It's all about context. And so if you don't really feel like your story needs a lot of saving, then the story of Jesus isn't all that good of news, and you don't really feel like you need a savior. But if our story starts with, I was dead, then, then Jesus is just the best news you've ever heard. And so here's the good news. It comes in verse 4. It says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. 
Even while we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And that's, that's the story we get to tell. Then I think we need to be less focused on the fact that God hasn't made us perfect yet and be more excited about the fact that God has breathed life into our souls. And that's not all it says. It goes on. Uh, it says, God raised us up with Christ. We're going to come back to that. God raised us up with Christ. And he seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. And it's not from yourself, it's a gift of God. Not by works. Works is how you get from bad to good. It's not by works so that none can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, church, it's never been about getting better. The whole point of the gospel story is that Jesus is all the better that you will ever need. Jesus is all the good. Jesus is all the perfection. Jesus is all the sinless, shameless sacrifice we'll ever need. It's not about going from bad to good. It's about getting from death to life. So how do we get there? How do we get from death to life? I'm going to tell you, this is how you don't do it. You don't do it by taking the stairs. Here's what I mean by that. A couple years back, um, my wife, Kristen, and I did this thing called the Big Climb, which is this fundraiser down in Seattle. Uh, and it's for the, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. It's this incredible uh, incredible fundraiser. But the way that it works is you get a bunch of people to sponsor you, um, and you start in the very basement, and you go up all of the stairs in the Columbia Tower, which is the highest tower in all of Seattle. So we're talking about 69 flights of stairs, 1,311 for anyone who's interested. And, and here's how my wife got me to go up the first year. We've done it a couple times now. The first year she got me to, to, to do this big climb because she told me that there was going to be uh, chipotle burritos at the top. So I don't know what that thing is for you that would be just the most motivating thing in your world, but that was it for me. Um, and it wasn't that she was trying to be dishonest. They were one of the sponsors, but as it turned out, like it was only four people that raised a certain amount of money, and we didn't quite hit that threshold. So when I got to the top after 1,311 stairs, I was sweating an unbelievable amount. And I just burst through the doors, and I said, where are the burritos? And there were no burritos, and they tried to console me. They said, hey, we got a yogurt for you. I said, I don't want your stupid yogurt. I want a burrito. <laughs> but after I got done with my little temper tantrum and calmed down, I remember seeing the view. And there were, there were windows in every direction up there. And it was a beautiful day in Seattle. You could see the, the stadiums. You could see the Space Needle. It looked like this, this little toy down below us. It was beautiful. And as I looked out over the city, it hit me. It felt like I had truly accomplished something meaningful. I had propelled myself to the top. I had, by my sweat and my tears, gotten all the way to the top of this incredible tower. I had pushed through the pain, I had persevered, and I had actually accomplished my goal. And I'd done it for something good. But the thing that made it so sweet, I got to be honest, it felt really good was because of all the work that I put in. You can really enjoy the view if you put your sweat into something. And it's funny because that's how most things in this world work. 
If you put in the work, if you're smart enough, if you sacrifice, if you pull yourself up by your bootstraps, then step by step by step, you get closer to whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish, whatever success looks like to you, you get closer to your dreams because of the work that you put in. But here's, here's the thing. I would never tell you that hard work isn't important or good because Scripture says in Colossians 3, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not as for human masters. So Scripture doesn't just say it's good. God actually implores us to throw ourselves wholeheartedly into whatever our calling is. He says, work hard as if your boss was God, not people. But church, I need you to hear this. If you hear one thing, hear this. Hard work is not the currency of grace. Hard work is not the currency of grace. You don't get from death to life by taking the stairs. It's not a step by step and I'm going to try and stretch myself and I'm going to read the scriptures and I'm going to go to small group and I'm going to pray really hard and all of a sudden I'm going to be at this level of morality that God is pleased with. That is not how grace works. Hard work is something we're called to do, but hard work is not the currency of grace. And if you actually take that mentality with grace, if you're trying to earn God's love, here's the thing. The stairs don't lead to righteousness. It actually leads to self-righteousness. It leads to a swelled ego and a false sense of entitlement. Thinking that you earned something that was given to you actually cheapens the gift. So how do you get there if it's not by the stairs? How do you get from I was dead to now I'm alive? I've been raised up. I don't know what you guys know about elevators. Any like elevator technicians in here? Okay, perfect. So I don't know what you know about elevators. There was a pastor down in Atlanta named Louis Giglio who, who put it this way, and it was really helpful for me. But typically when it comes to elevators, this is, this is kind of our experience since we're good Pacific Northwest people. We've, we've got our single origin coffee in our hand, and, and we're heading somewhere. So we, we push the bottom, and it lights up, or the, the button at the, the bottom of the building, and it, it lights up, and the door opens. And then we get onto the elevator and we push the button for the floor that we want to get to. And the door closes behind us and maybe we take a sip of our coffee. We, uh, we, we pull out our phones and, and check and see if anybody's uh, liked any of our Instagram posts or, or, or if anyone's texted us. And before you know it, the door opens again. Only this time you're not at the bottom. You're actually where you wanted to get to all along. And so you, you stand there and, and all of a sudden the door opens and you're, you're, you're at the spot that you were trying to get to. And that's the whole thing. That's elevators. There's a button. It opens. It closes. Now it opens again, and there you are. But I've got news for you. With most elevators, like there's a whole lot that's going on behind the scenes there. There's a whole lot that just happened to you while you were sipping your coffee. There's no magic behind those buttons. The elevator car, get this, guys. It doesn't actually have power to push you upwards. Most elevators don't work that way. The way that they work is this. So you're in the elevator car, and the elevator car actually has a bunch of thick cables that's on the top of it. And these cables, they stretch all the way to the top of the building, and there's a series of wheels and gears that they wrap around, and on the other side of the cable, it's attached to this thing called a counterweight. And the counterweight is essentially this, this big metal plate, and it's incredibly heavy. It weighs more than the elevator car and all the people in it. 
So when you say, hey, I want to go up to the 27th floor, what happens is the computer actually tells the little machines and the motor to release the counterweight. And for you to go up first, the counterweight has to be released and go down. And when the counterweight comes down, you're sitting there with your coffee and you get lifted up. And maybe that's not all that interesting to you. You're like, why is this guy talking about elevators? Maybe you, you liked it better before when you just thought it was kind of magic and you're like, oh, this is, this is great and you didn't want all the details. But I gotta be honest, when I heard that, that actually changed something in my heart because that's actually the gospel. We were dead, scripture says, so we had zero power to push ourselves up. It's not about jumping higher. That's not going to get us to where we wanted to go. And we knew where we wanted to be, but there was no way for us to get there, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So what did God do? Rather than just let us continue to jump and fail miserably, he actually sent down a counterweight. Because he saw your story unfolding. And he saw all your brokenness. And he saw all of your, your, your fears and your insecurity and all of your sins and, and all of the things that were, were keeping you stuck. He realized that the stairs you were trying to use weren't going to get you the thing that God wanted the most, which is to be with you. And so he, he sent down the counterweight. And this, this counterweight weighed more than all of your sin. And it weighed more than all of your shame. And it weighed more than all of your guilt. And when the counterweight went down, Scripture says that God raised us up. So how do we get from death to life? It's not by taking the stairs. It's actually when the counterweight of Christ comes down and we just get lifted up. Scripture says God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. So friends, it's not that we're good, it's because of God's goodness. It's not because of our works, it's because of the work of Jesus. It's by grace and grace alone that we've been saved, and grace doesn't look like a staircase, it looks like an elevator. While we stood there, there had to be a counterweight that came down. A counterweight that weighed more than every piece of baggage that we own. And we get lifted up and raised into the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Church, you are enough not because of any other reason than God isn't playing the same game that we're playing. He's not playing this morality game. Let's see if they can read their scripture for 14 days in a row. He's less interested in that. He's more interested in breathing life into your soul. And when you realize that God saw your struggle... And God saw your brokenness and your rebellion. That rather than turn his back on you, he actually said, no, send down the counterweight. I'm raising him up. I'm talking about you. When he saw your sin, he said, no, I'm not going to allow this to continue. Send down the counterweight. He's with me. She is with me. When you realize that God saw, saw something so valuable and special in you, that he sent down his only son to pay the price that you could never pay on the cross. You're never the same. You get freed from all of this striving that we do. 
because we talk ourselves into thinking that we have to be enough to be used by God, to be seen um, as spotless before him. And even if we know it in our brains, sometimes in our hearts, we get tricked and we get sideways. But God's never been playing that game. He's been playing a different game and he, he's, he's lavished his love on you from the beginning. So I want you to look at your neighbor and I want you to tell him you are enough. Thank you guys, helping me preach today, that's good. You are enough. It's true, but why does that matter? Friends, why does that matter? I'll tell you why it matters. It matters because God has work for you to do. God has a plan for your life. God has a purpose for you. God has neighbors for you to love. God has relationships for you to restore. And I don't care if you're 18 or 80, as long as there's breath in your lungs, God is not done with you yet. And so why does it matter that we're enough is because when we don't feel like we're enough, then we don't actually engage in God's plan for our lives. And God has a unique role for you, and it is radically important. It is so important to the kingdom of God that we actually know that we are qualified so that we can actually step into the purpose that God has for us. Scripture says at the end, it's kind of this tag on to this ten these 10 verses, but it's so good. It says, for we are his workmanships created in Christ Jesus for good works. Why does it matter? Because God actually has a plan. And God prepared it beforehand that we should walk in them. And when we realize that it's not about getting better, it's actually about being made alive in Christ, then we have everything that we need to start stepping in the direction that God is calling us to having the conversations that God is putting in front of us and being faithful to tell our story that it's not about getting better. It was I was dead and now I am alive with Christ. <laughs> and I know you've got your excuses. I've got them too. Reasons why when you look in the mirror, all that you can see is your sin and you feel like maybe what I have isn't enough to be used by God. Maybe you feel like like you're too broken or there's, there's something going on that you just can't seem to kick in your life and, and, and you feel like what you're bringing to the table is kind of a facade. Maybe this isn't your season. Maybe you don't feel like, like you're ready yet. Well, I brought one last scripture to share with you and it's for anyone who feels like, man, you got something in your life and it feels like it's a wedge between you and actually being used by God in a profound way. And so um, the context for this passage is that that Paul, who is, by the way, one of the, one of the most incredible um, human beings to ever walk the face of this planet. Like, this is the guy who wrote most of your New Testament. And it says, Paul, he had an issue that he couldn't seem to kick. He, he prayed. He went to his small group. He, he did it all. He, was, he, he, he tried everything in his own power to, to kick this thing. We don't know what the issue is, but, um, but we know that he... He viewed it as a thorn that was in his side that wouldn't seem to come out. And this might actually sound mean, but I'm kind of glad that, that Paul had some issues that he was willing to talk about because it makes me feel like maybe God could use me too. But this is, this is what he says. In 2 Corinthians 12, he says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. I don't know if you've ever been there. Just got this issue and, and just pleading with the Lord. Lord, will you take this from me? This is too much for me to carry. But he said to me, Scripture says, my grace is sufficient for you. That's God's response. Rather than taking it away and making Paul a more perfect person, he says, my grace 
is sufficient for you. Then Paul says the most incredible thing. He says, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That's actually God then then, then Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power can rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weakness. This is getting crazy here. In insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and difficulties. For when I am weak, I am strong. And, and what this is saying for us is, is that, church, you are enough because God's power is actually made perfect in your weakness. And so whatever your weakness is, whatever the sin is in your life, whatever the thing is that's your excuse, what if that wasn't something that disqualified you? It actually qualified you to show God's strength through it. Because church, get this. I think this is like the craziest thing. Your cracks, the things that make you weak are actually the very things that God's light shows through. And so it's our gaps that God's light shows through. It's your weakness that means that when you actually go out in faith, that when something beautiful happens, people can't point to you and say that you're the hero. It means that our God is enough to work through this weak vessel. It means that God is the hero. Your cracks are the very thing that God can show his light through. Your weakness is the very thing that allows God to show his strength. Church, you are enough. Because when you are weak, and you say, God, still use me. I've got my stuff. I'm still working. I'm a work in progress. But God, use me. And God has space with a faithful heart to show his glory and show his perfection through you so that he is the hero of the story, not you. I've got one final thought for you. When Kristen and I found out that we were pregnant, we had a, a friend who told us that, that being a parent, it changes the way that you, you see God's love. It changes the way that you understand it. It shows you a different perspective. And they told me, when you, when you hold your kid for the first time, you realize that there's nothing they have to do to earn your love. You just love them. There's nothing they have to do to earn your affection. You can't, you can't help but be captivated by who they are. And it's true. Could you put the picture back? Oh, here. <laughs> it's my girl preaching with me. I love it. Man. I got to tell you guys, when it comes to, to my girl, Brooklyn, she didn't have to do anything to earn my love. I just loved her. She didn't have to do anything to prove that she was valuable. She's just valuable. I love talking to her every night. I, I tell her that she's loved. I tell her that she's strong. I tell her that she's beautiful. I tell her that she's a daughter of the Most High God. I tell her she can do anything that she puts her mind to because she can she can. And as I was talking to her a couple nights ago, um, I had this overwhelming like, thought that was welling up out, out of me. And so I, I just spoke it. And I said, Brooklyn Rose, I am proud of you. I said, and I'm proud of you. And why that's interesting is because over the last six weeks, I've, I've, I've had a, a front row seat to watch Brooklyn. And she has done nothing in her life that's been impressive so far. <laughs> like Nothing. Like she, she sleeps, she eats, she poops, and the cycle repeats, and it's usually she's doing those things in the wrong order, and so there is nothing that she's done that is impressive. And that doesn't mean that, that I don't think she's going to do incredible things. I actually, like in my gut, I just feel like she's going to be a world changer. I, I think she's going to do some, some phenomenal things. 
uh, I, I've been believing God that she's going to be independently wealthy so that her mother and I can retire early and <laughs> we've got the whole thing planned. It's going to be great. Um, I totally believe that she's going to do incredible things. But, but if I could tell her one thing and have that be kind of foundational to the way that she views our relationship, if I could, if, if I could say one thing to her and just have it rest on her heart and just have it sit there, it would be this. I would tell her, Brooklyn, if you never did another thing in your life, I would still love you with every ounce of my being. Because you are more than enough. Who you are is more than I could have ever imagined. All that you have to do is be my girl. And you can do all the incredible things that you want, and I fully believe that you're going to do it, and I'm going to cheer you along. I'm going to be there every step of the way, but don't you ever get it twisted and think that you have to do those things to earn my love because you've had them from day one. You've had them all along. And I feel like there's, there's people here this weekend who need to hear that if you didn't do another thing for the rest of your life, you have a heavenly father who loves you with every ounce of his being. And that doesn't mean that he doesn't believe that you're going to do incredible things. If you do incredible things, he's going to cheer you along. He's going to be with you every step of the way, but don't you ever get it twisted and think that you need to do those incredible things to earn his love because the good news of the gospel is God already loved you from before you were born and there's nothing you can do to make him love you less. Church, you are enough, not because of what you do, but because of who you are in Christ. And that's the good news. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that even though it's hard for us to understand because every other relationship that we've ever known has been this transactional relationship where we get better grades if we, we do better work. Because sometimes it's hard for us to understand that grace doesn't work that way. But Jesus, I believe that when we understand that to the degree that we understand grace, to the degree that we understand your love, God, we are radically transformed into your image and likeness. So Jesus, would you do a new work in us? God, would grace fall afresh in our hearts? God, would you, would you send us forth fully knowing that you've called us to put our whole selves into everything that we do, but God, would we rest with all of those things that we engage with be um, an overflow of the fact that, that you've said that we're enough. You've said that we are more than conquerors in Christ. Lord, we love you. We love you. We love you. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Thanks again for watching. We're so glad that you joined us today. Once again, we hope you'll get involved in biblical face-to-face -face community wherever you happen to be today. If you'd like more information about Christ the King Community Church, if you'd like to give online, or if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or even get connected in a small group, you can find out more about us at ctk.church.